Parlez-vous français, fools? C'est la industry focus. Hey, fools. Taylor Muckerman here with Tyler Crow. We're talking about the Paris Climate Change uh, Conference and some impacts that it might have on the overall energy sector and also, you know, what companies in general are doing to address climate change and the use of fossil fuels. Uh, Tyler, you've been following the, the conference a little bit. What, what are your thoughts so far as it's only a couple days old? Well, um, you know, one of the things that I think maybe people don't necessarily understand about the Paris Climate Talks is that um, a lot of the foundation for what has been going on with it has been going on for years. Um, if we remember a couple of years ago, uh, China and U.S. had a, like a joint climate talk, and they both made pledges on reducing carbon emissions. And that's basically the framework for what this entire thing is. Um, it's basically a lot of countries that have made these voluntary pledges to reduce carbon emissions, and they've brought them to this conference. And now the conference is more or less along the lines of, how do we enforce this? And for countries that are emerging market countries, maybe countries that are struggling a little bit more to finance kind of the shift, you know, how can we help them, you know, afford it? And that, those have been kind of the sticking points and what has been the important stuff here rather than the how are we going to cut carbon emissions because a lot of that framework has already been brought to the table. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I've seen, you know, you look at a lot of the, the countries um, – that, that produce fossil fuels, like Saudi Arabia is fighting back on this a little bit. But then you have island nations that are like, no, please, dear God, support climate change, or otherwise we're going to be drowning in the next hundred years. Um, and one of those emerging markets that's pushed back especially has been Brazil. And I don't think this is, should be any surprise, given their reliance on uh, mining and the oil and gas sector for their entire economy. Yeah, we've seen Brazil push back a little bit. And a lot of the countries, you know, if we look at energy consumption, you know, you have the United States, the EU, I guess you could say developed mature markets. And if you look at total consumption, it's been relatively flat or even declining over the past 10 to 15 years. I think one of the bigger topics to handle isn't going to be places like the EU and the U.S. who have, you know, set some targets. Maybe they're not the most ambitious, but they're on the right path, but rather the really large emerging economies, you know, countries like India, countries like China, that still have a lot of people who, uh, you know, on a GDP per capita, it's still pretty low average, you know, household incomes aren't, aren't great. And to increase those and bring them up to a higher standard of living that they want to achieve, it requires an immense amount of energy. And how, how to solve that, you know, Brazil is another one just like that. How are we going to be able to deliver the energy that these people need while at the same time meeting these these uh, these carbon targets is going to be a really interesting thing to figure out yeah you'd have to imagine there would have there would have to be some kind of contribution on the part of developed nations uh, to help fund that, as you mentioned earlier, people not having the money to do so um, well let's jump into one of the ways that the global carbon emissions uh, levels could be reduced over the long term and that's a transition that's underway in some small part, and that's to electric vehicles or hybrid vehicles uh, as kind of the segue to electric vehicles. Um, we've seen some adoption around the world. I think some numbers since 2009 to the end of last year, or to, sorry, to the middle of this year, 
Um, there's over a million EVs sold worldwide now, so there's been some rapid adoption. Uh, the, the million number doesn't really jump off the page when you think of total vehicles around the world. But uh, from zero to a million in just six years is pretty impressive. Uh, what are your thoughts on the changing you know, industry dynamics in terms of electric vehicles, not just for consumers, but also for industry as well? Yeah, I find it really interesting. I think there's a, there's a uh, I guess you could call it the low-hanging fruit and then the more challenging things that we can achieve here. Uh, when we think of conversion over to alternative energy, our, our immediate thoughts are, solar and wind, which are ways of producing electricity. And, you know, so the ability to kind of disrupt and transform the electric market, moving away from coal, moving away from, to a lesser degree, natural gas, is an easier um, transition. But one of the biggest challenges, of course, is going to be how do we get transportation? And like you said, electric vehicles have been a, a a good way of doing it. And we've seen companies like Tesla Motors that have really been driving this as of late, you know, not in the sense of actual total um, vehicles sold, but more along the lines of driving the technology that it's helping to enable. And the headlines Um, as well. So it's getting the word out. Yeah, certainly the media uh, attention around Tesla Motors certainly helps things an awful lot. But I think there's a a big question, like that harder stuff that's going to be able to convert, you know, commuting cars, light-duty vehicles, like what we've seen with, like, the Nissan Leaf or yeah. um, Tesla, there are easier fixes because the, the demands of power are not as great. I think one of the hard things that people don't really think about is heavier-duty jobs. You know, we're thinking about trucking, construction equipment. These are very, very large um, consumers of fossil fuels, especially in the oil space. And are we going to be able to develop or where is the technology that's going to come that we can um, actually replace these? Because right now, where electric vehicles are right now, it, it seems like it's a very, very long ways off until we can actually replace these. And the question is, is natural gas an adequate change here? Um, you know, companies like Clean Energy Fuels, Westport Innovations, they've been trying to push this move towards natural gas uh, for heavier-duty uh, vehicles as an option, and obviously... Natural gas is less pollutive than oil. And the question is, is this going to be an acceptable change uh, over the long term to help meet those needs? Yeah, and you see some hybrid models out there in terms of like earth moving equipment, but nothing on a grand scale. Um, and, and as you mentioned, trucking is a huge user of uh, fossil fuels. And there really hasn't been any momentum that I'm aware of in terms of fully electric semi-trucks or locomotives uh, or anything along those lines. Uh, So you certainly see some adoption into liquefied natural gas, but that's still a fossil fuel at at its origin. So we're not completely uh, removing ourselves from that. And even the earth-moving vehicles that I'm talking about, uh, a couple from Caterpillar, Komatsu, and Deer, they are still hybrid, so they're using a diesel engine to, as a generator to produce electricity for the drivetrain and such. So still using fossil fuels. Um, it, I think you're right, the, the industrial side of our transportation sector, and uh, I think that's going to be the slow burn in terms of adoption. And, and you're talking about just so much power needed uh, to, to disrupt that industry in terms of engine size and and kilowatts needed that these batteries are just going to have to they're going to have to improve significantly to be able to 
to tow and haul tons and tons of material. Um, moving on, we've got another segment we'd like to talk about, and that is moving towards cleaner energy, big energy companies in terms of oil and gas companies could get caught off guard. Um, I saw an article on Financial Times questioning whether some of these big energy companies are the Kodaks of uh, of the next generation in terms of uh, change kind of creeping up on them until it's too late to really counteract or, or adopt change themselves. And uh, Tyler, you emailed me this morning an idea and a company that you had in mind that, that might be getting a step ahead in, in regards to kind of not changing their business model completely, but at least creating new business lines that do involve green energy. Yeah, so one of the biggest challenges, you know, you get a lot of uh, investors or, you know, media people asking the question, why can't oil companies, big oil companies like the Exxon Mobiles and Chevron of the world that generate tons and tons of cash, you know, how come they aren't, you know, getting more into the alternative energy space and what they do now seems more like a greenwashing. It's like, oh, we're doing this, but it's a very token amount right. of investment compared to what they do. And one of the big reasons is they don't really have a strategic advantage uh, when it comes into moving into alternative energy. You know, there are a bunch of petroleum engineers, geologists, things like that. These these guys don't really know photovoltaic, photovoltaic uh, excuse me, Ooh, bad language today. Um, <laughs> They don't have that knowledge and that, that industry expertise or any sort of strategic advantage where a company like a SunPower or First Solar is going to, you know, kind of eat their lunch if they were to get into this space. Um, however, if there is one thing that they could do and kind of looking at the possibilities that big oil could get into, I think one realm that they could use as a transition into alternative energy is actually offshore wind. Um, it's, a, it's a highly, it, uh, it, there's a lot of potential when it comes to offshore wind. And, but what we've seen with projects as of late is they all come in wildly over budget. They take wait much, much longer to, um, to develop, which has been one of the big issues with, you know, so many energy projects as of late. So, you know, if you look at big oil companies, one of the things that they have been very, very good at over the past, 10, 20, even 30 years is building out infrastructure and off and facilities in offshore environments. And it is very possible that they could use the strategic advantage that they have in that developing and constructing infrastructure in the offshore realm to build offshore wind facilities. And we're actually starting to see one company kind of test the waters with this, and that's um, Statoil. They are the Norwegian national oil company, mm-hmm. kind of a hybrid public publicly traded company, national oil company, and they've been uh, building off, floating offshore wind facilities off the coast of Norway. Um, they've been relatively small, almost you could say like test facilities, almost even using them to power offshore oil rigs, so not exactly, you know, the biggest transition <laughs> to, uh, to alternative energy, but it, it, it shows a way forward that actually gives them something they can bring to the table, because it, as long as the ExxonMobil, Chevron, that oils of the world don't really have something to bring to the table. I, I don't see really see them move, making any significant movements anytime soon. And, and you mentioned Statoil, and then you think of uh, another European company, Total. I believe uh, 
they're heavily invested in SunPower. Is that correct? So yeah, they, uh, I think they own like sixty percent of all shares outstanding in SunPower. So, yeah, and, I mean, that, and that goes back to what you were talking about earlier about these chemical and petrochemical engineers. Maybe not necessarily having the photovoltaic experience or the wind power turbine experience. So why not go out there and maybe dump some cash into a company that's already got globs and globs of experience in those different industries? Um, and so you've got two European big energy companies uh, kind of making some movement towards these renewable resources. Um, and you look at Exxon a few years ago, completely selling out of their biofuels Um kind of foray into biofuels. It was a small movement, but they sold out of it. Uh, and BP, another European company, they've kind of canceled most of their renewable uh, projects. So perhaps these companies with so much cash on their balance sheet, perhaps rather than trying out, uh, trying to figure it out themselves, maybe you'll see some unexpected acquisitions over the next five to ten years um, in the renewable energy space rather than trying to recreate the wheel uh, themselves because kind of go back to Tesla talking about um, some of these bigger auto manufacturers not necessarily being able to keep up on the EV front because they have these engineers that, that aren't data scientists and and technology experts. So Tesla is way ahead of the game. They're hiring a completely different group of individuals compared to the Fords and General Motors of the world. So even those big auto companies are going to have to make that transition in employment as well. So um, maybe you'll see some acquisitions there. And I think that, that it's such a dramatic shift on both fronts that acquisitions kind of make the most sense. Yeah, I mean, the one thing you do have to give credit to a, a company like the big oil companies is for the most part, they are very, very good capital allocators, and they are very, very good, actually, long-term investors. If you look at some of the investments they have to make for oil and gas projects, it's 10 to 15-year investments. You know, I think a great example is, like, Gordon LNG project in Australia. Maybe not the best-budgeted one. You know, they've gone but over <laughs> You're budget. You're being too nice. But this is something that – this was an offshore gas uh find that they found back in the early 90s and have had the kind of fourth vision and foresight to develop this over a 25-year process. And, you know, if these companies were to start to see, you know, returns on solar energy, on alternative energy, or any other form that we can find, you know, if they can start to see attractive returns on those levels, it would not be surprised if they started to make that transition simply because they can look at it from a capital allocation standpoint and say, this is the best way to deploy our, our capital. Makes a ton of sense. Well, fools, I think that about wraps up the show. Unless Tyler, you've got anything that you wanted to kind of get off your chest. No, I think uh, I'm going to be watching Paris, see what happens for the rest of the time. Other than that, I think everybody needs to enjoy the uh, holiday holidays coming up and kind of coming down from Thanksgiving. Right on. Yeah, I think that uh, the implications of these Paris talks aren't going to be felt immediately, but certainly some long-term investing themes that people can take to heart. If you have five to ten years or longer to, to leave your money in the market, you could take some, some smaller bets on, on progress and change in the renewable energy sector. 